this summer, I went bike riding with several of my grandchildren in our neighborhood. Um, Peter and I did. And at times, it was a little bit like um, herding cats and, you know, trying to get all the fruit flies in a jar. Um, it didn't quite work out real well. We didn't go very fast. We didn't get very far. We covered a lot a, a, a lot uh, broadly, just not lengthwise. We didn't, get, we didn't get very far at all with that. I spent a lot of my time making sure that they were following and helping them to learn how to follow as we went bike riding. Uh, you know, we had a range of ages there, so some of them were, were pretty good. They were curious, though, all of them. Their attention was diverted by other things while we rode, and I had to gently remind them many times you know, that they needed to follow. I had to remind them which side of the road that they should be on, you know, the same side as me, basically. And I had to remind some of them to use their brakes instead of dragging their feet, you know, as we went along. And, uh, you know, to look further down the road as we're riding to help them go straighter and not fall off the edge of the sidewalk. Uh, you know, the um, older ones who had been riding longer still needed every once in a while to be reminded that they needed to to follow, you know, that they weren't always sure where we were going if they were out ahead and they might be turning the wrong way. I certainly didn't want them getting lost. I also didn't want anyone getting hit by a car, and I didn't want them uh, hurting anyone else, you know, as they crashed into each other and things. I wanted them to learn. I still want them to learn the importance of following well, of what it means to follow well. Now, as you may have guessed, I'm not talking about bike riding today, uh, but we are looking at the importance of following well. Let's pray. We're going to get into our passage. Father, thank you that, um, well, that you at least got my attention long enough to help me and to understand that uh, I need to follow. I don't always do it as well as I should, but I also thank you for giving me some who are worthy of following to help me find you. Uh, that's so important. And Lord, uh, now you still called us to follow. Even those of us who uh, are, might be in a leadership position, you've called us to follow and to follow you. Teach us from your word as we look into it to see how we might more be, again, not only the people you've called us to be, uh, but those who can help others come to know you and, and come grow more to be the people that you want them to be. So guide our time, our thoughts as we look into this. Bring our attention back when our mind wanders. But most of all, put our attention on you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be, it's not wherever it needs to be. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, this is a continuation of God's answer to Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple. Um, the answer did not come at the dedication. If you look through, you know, the, the whole chapter here and stuff, uh, you'll see there was a feast day. It was followed uh, by a seven-day festival. Then the dedication lasted another seven days. After all this, you see in verse 10, it tells us that Solomon sent the people home. You know, he sent them uh, this four to 15 days of service uh, and, and worship at the temple it was coming to a close and he sent them all home. Uh, and then in verse 12, we're told that God came to Solomon to answer the prayer that Solomon had prayed at the dedication. 
uh, back there. Now, we've been looking at the answer to the prayer for five weeks. This is our last week in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, next week, I plan to move on into the um, epistle of First John. Now, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel of John. It's the epistle. There, just get to Revelation and back up a little bit, and, and you'll be at First John there. But uh, pray about that because... I really want it to be God's direction, not my ideas, not my thoughts. Um, you know, and if He changes it somewhere else, I want to be able to understand that. So, uh, you know, be praying about that. Now, if you recall, here in Second Chronicles, uh, the Book of Chronicles. First, the Second Chronicles were one book to begin with. It was separated to make it easier uh, for people that you know that division isn't necessarily. Um, uh, it, I was going to say inspired. It isn't necessarily, it's not on the same level as scripture itself. But if you look at the end of, of the book of Chronicles, uh, you will see there in, in chapter 36, uh, you know, verses 22, 23, uh, it ends there with the decree of Cyrus allowing the nation of Israel to return to the land to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. That is the setting for the entire book of, of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. That's the setting where they were allowed to go back to rebuild the temple. So as they're heading back then, God directs you know, the chronicler to, to record these things. They were a conquered people. They were exiled. As they're reading this, they were a conquered, exiled people. They were removed from their land for generations and now they were they were uh, well they had been taken captive when they were, when they were conquered then they were exiled to Babylon and then here you know first and second chronicles is the writing of their history to give those returning exiles hope to give them insight as to how to live better as God's people how to better live in a relationship with God is what he's writing to them about uh, they didn't want to repeat you know, they didn't want to get, they wanted to rebuild. They didn't want to end up again in exile and a conquered people there. You know, so how to understand, they needed to know how to understand, you know, what brought them into captivity. Why? So they could avoid that. So they could avoid, you know, that, that same problem again going forward. Now they get to the point where, you know, King David is, is, um, the ruler and he's followed by his son Solomon. Uh, I, I think David was probably the high point. They, you know, David then going into Solomon, but it was really, uh, it, it runs very quickly downhill during, during Solomon's reign is when this thing, the wheels are wobbling, you know, I mean, uh, and they're wobbling like crazy. Uh, we had a friend we always used to joke that we were going to drive our cars till the wheels fell off. They were going down uh, Interstate 94 in Chicago. If you know where Hubbard's Cave is, it's as you're, you're downtown, you're in the downtown part where all the exits, and they're going off to the left and the right, and then you enter this, this tunnel. Just before they entered this tunnel, the wheel flew off of their Ford Granada, you know, wing, and they, you know the the wheel was the wheel was ahead of them entering the tunnel. Uh, you know, so what was happening here? It's during Solomon's reign; those wheels are wobbling. You know, I mean, they 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 are, are wobbling, and you know they're coming. It's going crazy. And here in the last half of chapter seven, you know, I, I want us to I want us to see. What happened? Because really, what happens is the wheels fly off when you when when Solomon's done. Um, I think it's in chapter ten when, um, yeah, in chapter ten, 
the wheels are the wheels are gone. You know, the wheels are flying off of the cart because Solomon's son was a knucklehead. Anyway, so you know, here in the last chapter, last half of chapter seven, I simply want to share with you some thoughts that God impressed upon me as I read the verses of this chapter, keeping in mind the downfall of of the nation that was experienced soon after this chapter. Now, we're going to look at it in three smaller sections. For context, I'm going to start in verse 12, where it tells us that the Lord answered the prayer. So follow along. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. Now we're going to, we're going to pause there for a minute. We've already covered through verse 14 in previous weeks, so we're really starting in verse 15 today as we're looking at some of it. Uh, something that becomes clear right away, I think, you know, it, as we're looking at this, is, is God is attentive. He is attentive to His people. When they, when they, when God's people seek Him, they will respond. Here's the thing that we need to, we need to, you know, get. Know that God is not avoiding you. He is not avoiding you. God is not making it difficult. He is not making it difficult for you to know him. God is not giving you the silent treatment. And if as, as husband and wife or as brothers and sisters or as, as uh, you know, uh, uh, parents and children, uh, even with neighbors, if you're giving somebody the silent treatment, quit it. For pity's sake, quit your pouting. Suck it up, put on your, you know, I was going to say big boy pants, but I don't want to offend you. Get, get, get over it. Get over yourself, you know, this silent treatment. God, you, God is not giving anyone a silent treatment. God wants you to know him. Look at John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. God wants us to know him. John chapter 14. If you know me, you will also know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. A little later in John 14. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. First John chapter 2. This is now how we are sure that we have come to know him. We have come to know him by keeping his commands. Uh, uh, chapter 5 of First John. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. God is not avoiding you. He is not avoiding you at all. He wants you to know him. He also wants you to understand his word. John chapter 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. God wants you to understand his word. 
Second Timothy chapter two says, consider what I say for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. The Lord will give you understanding. In James, he tells us, you know, in, in James, uh, at the first chapter, if you lack wisdom. He says, any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without, without criticizing and it will be given to him. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know his word. He wants you to understand his word and his truth. God, you know, tells us that his ear will be attentive to our prayer. As we're looking at Second Chronicles, his ear will be attentive to the prayer. Uh, you know, the assumption is there that you're actually praying, you see. There, that's the assumption there. The assumption is that you make time to pray. Now, you know, it, it is good to have a place to pray and a time to meet with God. It is good to do that. Somewhere where you can concentrate on God, somewhere you where you can block out all of the things that interfere and all of the things that distract you. For me, it's first thing in the morning in our living room. If I if I wait, I'm distracted by all sorts of things. It doesn't take much to distract me, you know. But, but it's it's so. What part of that means? Part of that, well, part of that means then is that I get up early enough to have the time I need to spend with God. I have to get up early enough to do that. You know, maybe, maybe morning isn't your thing. Here's the deal though. Don't use that as an excuse and then never get to it during the day. When I was doing millwright work, when I first became a Christian, and then I, I grew to learn to, that I needed to, you know, spend more time with God and His Word, I started. That, I, what I did for a while is I, I, I did it during lunch at work. And in fact, another guy and I, for a while, you know, we had a Bible study together. He was a new Christian had just come to the Lord. He was working where we were, and so I was, I was trying to help him grow, you know, disciple him a little bit. And so we met together for a Bible study during lunch, and that worked out fine then. You see, but that doesn't work fine for me now. It just doesn't. So don't use the excuse that I'm not a morning person. I can't get up early and do this because I'm not a morning person and then never get to it. If you're never getting to it, quit lying to yourself and start making the time. You know, you have that, you have that time and you have a, a, a place for reading the Bible and for praying. You will not find the time. You need to understand that. You will not find the time. You have to intentionally set time aside intentionally on purpose making a choice just like you do for going to work you know i'm just assuming that some of you would probably rather do something else sometimes instead of going to work but you go to work or you go to school or you do all these other things that you need to do and that you have to get in and that you have to Make a time. Set an appointment with God. You know, do it. May you set that time aside. Now there is a time when I used to be able to do this at Panera Bread in the morning, and I, I tell you, I really did like that for a while. I could go there. The first time I tried it, I went to Panera and I got. I was amazed at how much, how, how much I was able to get done. How much it worked for me. I could shut out the noise and I could really connect with God. But then I noticed myself starting to pay attention to some of the distractions. What was going on around me really hadn't changed. It was the same stuff, you know. It was the same stuff. Uh, you know, that really hadn't changed. What had changed was now 
I was starting to give my attention to those distractions. So that had to come to an end, and I changed it, and now I do it at home, and it works really much better. I mean, there's a consistency there. God is, God is not avoiding you, so you quit avoiding him. Just a thought for you. Let's go on. Verse 17, follow along. It says, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man ruling in Israel. Now, this is a, a, the promise was made to David about never having, failing to have a man ruling in Israel. The promise was made to David. God is simply pointing it out to Solomon, you see. He is simply pointing that out to Solomon. It's not a new promise, you know. It's the same promise that he made to David. Here he's just pointing it out to Solomon. These are some specific promises here as he's addressing Solomon personally. You know, that if Solomon continues to pursue God, if he continues to live with God as number one in his life, that God would, you know, keep his family on the throne. Instead, Solomon strayed widely. You know, and, and, you know, he wasn't following God like he should. He wasn't following God wholeheartedly. I really even doubt that he was following God half-heartedly. Uh, he was just really... This wise man foolishly began to rely on his own wisdom instead of God. He began to rely on his own wisdom instead of God, and he pursued pleasure and his own desires. Now, be a thinking person. I'm not saying not to use your mind. Use your mind, apply your intellect, but don't ignore God. You know, use your mind and your intellect, but don't ignore God. I think the more you use your intellect, the more you have to work on your relationship with God. Otherwise, we begin, we begin to trust our reasoning more than we trust God. When the two are in conflict, when, when your reasoning, you know, or, or, or trust, are in conflict, you know, you tr- trust God. Trust God at those times. Your intellect, be honest with yourself, your intellect and your reasoning have been wrong before. God has never been wrong. God has never been wrong. When your intellect or your reason are in conflict with God, then what you need to do is trust God. After Solomon died, the kingdom, it, it fractured, the wheels came off, his son Rehoboam followed his Solomon as king. Rehoboam chose to increase, increase the practices of his father Solomon. There's a little picture of how far Solomon had gotten. He got to, he got to a point where he was abusing and really forcing his own people. You know, and Rehoboam follows the advice of, of his knucklehead buddies instead of the more wise advisors. And uh, the result was that 10 out of the 12 tribes, out of the 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of them left and weren't under Rehoboam anymore. They chose another king. Now, the promise here in Second Chronicles was pretty clear that if Solomon followed God, then God would respond favorably. Israel's only chance was if Solomon here had followed God well. That was Israel's only chance at this point, that, that, that Solomon would follow God well and teach his son to follow God well. But he didn't. He didn't do either one. 
He didn't do either one of those. One of the clear lessons here is if you want your children to follow God well, then you follow God well. If you want your children to follow God well, then you follow him well. Solomon messed up and he didn't follow God well. Big surprise, Rehoboam didn't follow God well. In fact, we could probably stop with didn't follow God. Uh, you know, was... you don't simply tell your children how to live. You do that. You do do that. Don't think that you could just live before. Tell your children, you know, how to live well. Uh, you know, but you also need to live that commitment to Christ that you want them to have. One of the, I think, most unthinking statements I hear people make sometimes is that, um, you know, I'm not going to force religion on my kid. Uh, I'm going to let them choose for themselves. I'm gonna grow. So what you're doing is you are living out the example to them that it is that God is not important. What do you think they're going to follow? Now, some of them sure would, might, you know, will come to know Christ, but but you know, a lot of the people out there who who don't know God, you know, it's because their 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 parents just God never entered the picture. You know, to say that, you know, you're going to grow up and let them choose. Do you do the same thing with their, with their diet? Do you do the same thing with their schooling? Do you do the same thing with their driving? Do you do the same thing with, you know, you want your, you want your children to follow God well, then you better be following God well. You are replaceable everywhere but home. You quit your job, guess what? They're going to get somebody else to do it. I don't care if you're the president of some company. You lose your job, they're going to get somebody else to do it. Probably before the week is over. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I just want you to understand that. But you are not replaceable at home. You know, I grew up without a dad. You know, most of you know that. I grew up without a dad at home. They're, they're, they're really, now my mom didn't remarry or anything. And I'm not saying anything that step parents aren't good. You know, some are wonderful. You know, Ginny had step parents. Uh, you know, the, uh, um, her parents were divorced. Ginny was adopted. And, uh, you know, even after her, her mom died, her adopted father, you know, kept her and, and uh, that was the home, the household there. Uh, the only the only uh, grandchildren our our children have left living right now is Jenny's stepmom, you know, and she's a wonderful lady. Um, so I'm not saying that they can't be there, but you can't abandon home and think that somebody else is going to step in and replace you. That's not that 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 that's just you know. Some of us here have a strong faith because your parents taught you about God. Your parents taught you about God and they lived out that strong commitment to God as well. You know, but some of us here are first generation followers of God. But for both, if you want to see a strong commitment to God in your children, then teach them both with your words and your example what it means to have a relationship with God. Follow God well. Part of Solomon's claim to fame, 
I don't know if it's a claim to fame, but part of his claim to fame is that he was the last leader over a unified Israel. He was the very last leader out of a, over a unified Israel. And it all, it all went downhill very steadily, you know, after the example left by the choices he made. Solomon, you know, Solomon had a lot of wisdom. He had a lot of knowledge, but he started to use that knowledge to serve himself instead of God. He wrote a lot of wise sayings, you know, a lot of proverbs are written by Solomon, but the example of his self-centered living won the day with his son so that his son chose to do ungodly things. Don't be the last generation that follows Christ in your family. Don't be that. Teach your children about God and his love for them, then follow God wholeheartedly yourself. Teach them, teach them, and then follow God wholeheartedly yourself. One of Solomon's Proverbs that he didn't live out very well, chapter 22, verse 6, teach your youth, teach a youth about the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, Solomon knew better. Solomon didn't do better. He knew better, but he didn't do better. You know, the inconsistent way that he lived actually turned into the evil way that he lived. And that example won the day in Rehoboam's life to the destruction of Rehoboam and the destruction of the nation of Israel. Look at verse 17. For He says, as for you, here he's talking, he's talking to Solomon as an individual. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, doing everything I commanded you, if you keep my statutes... Others, you know, others can be an example and, and, and we can learn from them. I can learn from them. But it is my personal walk with God that matters. He says, if you... He's talking to Solomon as an individual. You, Solomon, if you as an individual walk before me as your father did, you need to take it up. You need to take up the reins, he said. Others can be an example, but it is my personal walk with God that matters. That, that walk, the word walk there that he used, it, it's, you know, to conduct yourselves, to live your, to live your life, you know, to follow God wholeheartedly. He calls us to that. I can be, you know, I can be inspired by others. I can get ideas from others, but the goal is not to be like others. The goal is to be more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Philippians chapter two, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Paul is writing and he says, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. He's told others, you know, he's, you know, in, in other places he said, follow me as I follow Christ. There's the example, that of Christ Jesus. Make your own attitude. Your actions are going to flow from your attitude. What's on the inside is what comes out. Make that, set your heart. How do you do that? By prayer, by studying his word. How do you do that? By setting a time aside intentionally, set intentionally, purposefully making time for God in your life. That sounds like, it sounds ludicrous, you know, that we would do. It's ludicrous that you don't do it. First John chapter four. It says, in this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment for we are as he is in this world. In this world, he wants us to live. Your goal, your goal, your goal is not to help your children be like you. Your goal is to help them to be more like Jesus. 
adopting his values, emulating his character, his love for others. Follow God well and teach your children to follow God well as also. Verse 19, pick up with me, verse 19 in your Bible. It says, however, if you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commands that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from the soil that I gave them and this temple that I have sanctified for my name. I will banish them from my presence. Remember who's reading this. The guys who are reading this are the ones who are going back to fix a temple that was destroyed. He says, I will make it an object of scorn and ridicule among all the peoples. Verse 21, as for this temple which is exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and will say, why did the Lord do this to the land and to this temple? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They clung to other gods and worshipped and served them. Because of this, he brought all this ruin on them. God will not help you walk away from him. Some of you probably already filled that blank in. God will not help you walk away from him. He says, if you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commands, the you here is plural. Here, the the you, back back in verse 17, it was singular where he was talking specifically to Solomon and, and, you know, and telling Solomon right on point here. You know, Solomon, given Solomon, it was really a warning to Solomon and it was a warning that, that, you know, Solomon didn't think he needed, you know, but it's a warning Solomon didn't heed. But here, you know, here in verse 19, he's, it's, it's a plural. He's speaking to the nation. He's speaking to all of those. He's, he's speaking to all of, about his people, to all of those who have a relationship with him just as what back in, in 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 verse 14 if my people he's, talk, he's talking about my people those who have a relationship with him all of those who have a relationship with him he's saying and instead of turning from their evil wicked ways as it says in verse 14 they chose instead to turn away from god you need to realize it's either one or the other there is no such thing as sitting on the fence don't buy that lie there is no such thing as sitting on the fence there are no gray areas. We use that as an excuse when we want to do something that we're not really sure we should be doing. We say, well, it's really a gray area. No, it's not. There is no gray area in Scripture. A gray area simply is an area that you need to get more light on because God's not confused. God is not confused about what he wants for you in any circumstance, in any situation. He is not wondering which way you should go. He is not thinking, well, maybe this one to be okay this time. That is not, God knows. So if you think you are in a gray area, quit using that as an excuse to indulge yourself and instead seek after God and he will be, and he will very clearly show you the way you should do. A lot of times when we say it's a gray area, it's because we already know what we should do. We just don't want to do it. Your choices and actions are either for God or against God. That's it. Those are your only two choices. You are for God or you are against God. Mark chapter 9. You know, they said, hey, there's these guys casting people, casting demons out in your name. We want to stop them. And Jesus said, hey, don't stop them because whoever's not against us is for us. What he's saying is there's only two choices here, boys. There's only two choices. 
Look at verse 19 in, in Second Chronicles, verse 19. If you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commands that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and worship them. You serve other gods when you put anything ahead of God in your decision-making. You serve other gods when you put anything ahead of God in your living. When you do those things, you are serving other gods. And so instead of God healing their land here, they had to be uprooted, they had to be removed because they were making a mockery out of following God. They were not living as God's people. They did not follow well. They didn't follow God well, they followed sin, unfortunately, well. And to allow them to continue taking action, you know, that... If God allowed them to continue on in sin as God's people, you know, they're the nation that's called God's people. And as if as God's people, he allows them to, you know, continue. God would be supporting a lion. He won't do that. He will not do that. Don't ever expect God to help you sin. God will never lead you contrary to his word. He will never lead you contrary to his character. He will never lead you contrary to his attributes or his being. He won't do that. And if you take that time to pray, if you set that time aside to pray and and read his word and study his word, then you will know, then you will know his character. You will know his being. You will know his will. You will understand who he is. The more you know and understand God, the more in his word, the more you will understand his will. God does not abandon his people. His people abandon him. When they choose sin over God. When they choose not to follow well. Don't be the last one in your family to follow God. Make sure you personally follow God well. Follow him well. Set a good example. But also, you know, teach your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, whatever children you have the opportunity to pour into. Maybe it's a neighbor kid. I got, I told you before, you know, I, I have, I've had and I have, you know, a neighbor kid who, who is open enough to me that allows me into his, you know, into his life a bit. And, you know, whatever opportunities you have, you know, pour into their lives. Teach them about God. Teach them to follow God well by your words and by your example. Follow God well. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for those who helped me to learn the importance of this. Help me to keep it as an important factor in my life. For all of us together here, I I pray that you would help us to be people who would follow you well intentionally on purpose with purpose don't ever let us choose our own ideas over your word and over your truth don't ever let us lie to say that that it's a gray area don't ever let us lie to say that you've abandoned us don't ever let us lie saying that you are silent Thank you for your word which speaks to us and continues to speak to us. I know there's been times in my life, Lord, where I, my mind has been just a little cloudy and a little messed up. And, and it took me a while to sometimes brush the junk away. But you continue to love, you continue to reach out, you continue to speak. Through your word and through your people.
Help us to follow well, to follow you well in all things, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.